Morning. <laughs> My name is David Soren. I am the uh, lead pastor here at Renovation Church, the church you are currently attending. Okay. Uh, before we get into our message today on our good friend Elijah, I want to just take a few minutes and give you an important, a very important church update. So after months and months of uh, prayer, uh, lots and lots of discussion uh, amongst our leadership, uh, we have together decided um, that we will largely stop uh, live streaming our services uh, at the end of this month. Um, I want to just talk through that a little bit. That's not an easy decision that we made, and it's not one we're making lightly. I know that there are a lot of positives to live streaming a service right here live on Sunday morning. Uh, it allows you to access church from anywhere, from vacation, if you're homesick. Uh, it increases access to the gospel. Uh, we've literally heard stories of people who said, yeah, we started watching you online. Or our family members who don't know Christ watch Renovation Church from a different state online. And so trust me, as someone who has such an evangelist heart to see people come to Christ, uh, this is not a decision that we made quickly and it's not one we made lightly. However, the cons of continuing to offer our service alive online are many. Uh, they are serious. Uh, and quite frankly, they outweigh the positives. At the end of the day, when you study what church is, and all the things around it in the New Testament, church is not a podcast. Uh, Church in Scripture cannot be reduced to something that you consume as content for yourself. And when you watch from home, there are many things that you miss that are absolutely essential to you being a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, really, there are five big ones that we see. I don't want to just say, hey, we're not doing this anymore and move on. I, I want to talk through it. And I, here are really the five big ones for us. Uh, number one, when you watch from home, you miss the power of corporate worship. Right? If you've ever watched the service from home, you know that the worship, the music, part, it's not the same. Right? It's just not. You miss that when you're at home. Uh, secondly, you can't serve on a Sunday morning at home. That church ends up, therefore, being just, again, something for you to consume, not a place where you come to serve others. And if you study the church in the New Testament, serving the body of Christ is a massive part in what makes church, church. Thirdly, you can't come to the prayer meeting from home, which is so important to us. So you come, that we have people in that room banging on the door of heaven, agreeing together that God would move in this space. Uh, Fourthly, Uh, When you watch at home, you can't see friends in the lobby who can encourage you and who can pray over you. In fact, just last week, I saw two people, two friends connecting in the lobby, talking about deep spiritual things. They even agreed in the lobby that they were going to keep each other accountable. That kind of interaction just simply cannot happen online. And then fifthly, The longer that this kind of goes on, uh, the more studies have come out that have started to show how absolutely spiritually devastating this live stream model is for children. Uh, Kids just simply aren't growing at all spiritually in this, and many of them are getting left behind. So yes, we do understand that if we kept our live stream up, that our numbers of those hearing the message would go up. I also understand that 90% of churches like us, if not more, are probably going to make the opposite decision than we make, and they're going to keep their live stream. But in the end, 
we feel like we're doing a disservice to disciples of Jesus Christ by keeping it. You know, we're a church that's not afraid uh, to go against the grain, and we just kind of feel like for too long in this country, churches have made their decisions primarily based on the question of, will this increase our numbers? But when you always use that as a primary decision-making tool, what happens is so often the answer can be yes, but in this country so often we've done that and then we've lowered the bar of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so the church in America, I think right now, is paying dearly for this. Yes, there are lots of huge churches and increased numbers, but we don't have truly devoted disciples of Jesus anymore. They're going to absolutely do whatever it takes to put Jesus Christ first. And that's what we want to see. And so just some logistics here. Uh, we are planning to take the live stream link uh, off of our website and off of Facebook after the last Sunday of this month in August. I do realize that uh, COVID cases are on the rise again across the country. I understand. We read the news. I know that uh, people are concerned about the Delta variant. So sort of as a compromise, because we want to get this done with, we, we don't want to have a live stream when we're doing a grand opening as a compromise in this, what we're going to do in this sort of next interim immediate season is our services will still be a live stream on our YouTube page. And so if you're at home, if you're concerned about the virus and you're watching at home because of that, you will be able to watch live on YouTube in this season. We're just not going to advertise it anymore. And then as the numbers begin to come down again, we'll end also that YouTube live streaming. Obviously, if things get crazy, again, it's something we can go back to. If you are watching this online uh, right now and you are a part of our church and you are physically able to re-engage with us, I would say to you, come back. Uh, now is the time to do this. Uh, if you watch this live stream from far away, maybe you're watching this right now from a different state. I, I know a lot of pastors don't say this, but I'm going to say it. I, I cannot encourage you enough to get involved in a local church. It doesn't have to be renovation church. There are so many good churches all across this country. Get involved in a local church where you can be known, loved, encouraged, and discipled by other real-life people. Uh, we are still going to post uh, the message portion of the service onto our website, our app, all the places we put it on Sunday afternoons. That is a discipleship resource to our people and to many others. And some of those messages get access a lot for years and years to come. And so that'll still happen on Sunday afternoons. Okay. I know this is a lot. Uh, thank you for having this chat with me. It wasn't really a chat. It was mostly just me talking. Uh, but if you have questions on this, uh, feel free to just ask any of us uh, after the service. Okay. All right. Let's get into our study of Elijah. Uh, we are actually in week nine of our 10-week series on Elijah. So do not miss the exciting conclusion uh, next week. If it is... Why are you laughing? It's going to be exciting. <laughs> If it is your very first time here today, uh, let me just give you some context of what we've been studying all summer long as a church. So Elijah lived about 850 years before Jesus, so 850 BC-ish, and he lived in the nation of Israel. And one of the main things that God had Elijah doing was to confront the wicked leaders, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, because they were leading the people of Israel 
to bow down to statues, to pray to idols. And Elijah's this bold prophet, and we, we're going to see even more of his boldness today. So everybody grab a Bible. We're going to look at our chapter for the morning. This is what we do here. We study it. We want everybody looking at it. Uh, many of you grabbed it already. Uh, we're going to be on page 249 in the Bibles under the chair. Uh, if you don't grab that, you can use our Renovation Church app. Just have Bible in weekly verses. Or if you bring your own Bible, we are in Second Kings uh, chapter 1 this morning. So we were in chapter 21 of First Kings uh, last week. In chapter 22, Elijah is not present, so we're skipping over that. But King Ahab, who's been in so many of our messages this summer, is killed in battle in that chapter. And his son, King Ahaziah, takes over as king. So that's actually the last chapter of 1 Kings. So now we're in a new book of the Bible here for the last two weeks, 2 Kings. So 2 Kings, chapter 1, page 249. We're starting right at verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, Ahaziah, this is King Ahab's son, had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron. It's just, you know, this fake idol god of the region of Ekron to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going off to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied, and he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and tell him this is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending messengers to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. The king said, it was Elijah, the Tishbite, right? You can just imagine it, right? Okay, all right, let's pause there for a second. So we got King Ahaziah, who is the son of King Ahab, and he falls sort of through the lattice, if you can imagine the ceiling of his upper room in the palace, and he falls in, he's severely injured, and now he wants to know what's going to happen to me. Am I going to recover? But instead of consulting the Lord, the only one true God, he sends messengers to consult to this temple, to consult this idol of this fake God, Baalzebub in Ekron. Ekron is uh, kind of along the Mediterranean Sea. is one of the cities of the Philistines. That's where Goliath was from back in the day. So it's kind of over in that region. Now, Baalzebub's kind of interesting. If you were to translate that today, Baalzebub literally translates to Lord of the Flies, which is kind of interesting. Baalzebub also in the New Testament becomes synonymous with the name Beelzebub, which is actually the name for Satan. So this is not a good idea at all. And Elijah is letting him know about it. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse nine. It says, then, He sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of a hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. 
If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third. He's not getting in there. Okay, right? Okay, a captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life. And the lives of these 50 men, your servants. So they're switching allegiance now, right? They're saying, no, we're following you, Elijah, and your God. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. It is because there's no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Baalzebub, the God of Ekron. Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Whew. Okay, so King Ahaziah, the new king, Much like his father, King Ahab, he despises and fears Elijah at the same time, right? So much so that they're going to arrest Elijah or or, or maybe imprison him, maybe even kill him. But to go get this old man, they send 50 men in an army, right? Which is incredible. Now, sometimes, especially in our modern sort of Western culture, we can feel a little uncomfortable reading about that story where the fire comes down and 50 men are killed, right? So it's important to note that Elijah isn't saying, oh, watch this, I'm going to get you or I'm going to kill you. What he's essentially saying is this. He's saying, you call me a man of God. And yet you're clearly not acting as if that's true. Because what you're doing is you're obeying the orders of, you're living for the king of Israel, not the king of heaven. And if you live a life like that, then there is righteous judgment for that. Does that make sense? And then it's not, Elijah can't order God to do anything, and then it is God himself that sends down that judgment. Well, thankfully, third captain comes along, finally is rightly ordering his life to live first for the king of heaven, and it works out for him. Okay, I want to go to what I think really is the most important line in this entire chapter. It's so important that it's actually said three different times. I don't know if you caught the repetition of this. So look at verse 3, if you still have it open. There's a really important line in here. It says this, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them. Here it is. This is the line that's repeated so many times in this chapter. Is it because... There is no God in Israel. Now, obviously, there's sarcasm here. He's like, where, why are you going to, where are you going to consult this statue when God is available from everywhere? Why are you going from far away? Is it because there is no God in Israel? And he just keeps saying this throughout the chapter. And partly because Elijah is just exasperated, right? At this point in his life, he just can't believe this is still happening. I mean, think about what we've seen this summer, what God has done. In front of these leaders of Israel. I mean, God literally made it not rain for three years. And then, when it did rain, when everything was fixed, right? And they come for this great, this is what we covered on July 4th. And there's this great challenge on Mount Carmel. Baal is proven to be just this false idol. And God shows that he's the real God. And he rains down fire on the wet altar. And yet the leaders of Israel 
are still trying to find answers outside of the Lord. Yeah, I think so many of us, we make the same mistake. You know, one of the things, when I study this passage, one of the things that's really interesting to me is King Ahaziah is dealing with a real-life normal problem, much like many of us do today, you know, some 2,800 years later. He's injured, and he's dealing with anxiety about his health and the future. It's really not that different than a lot of us. He wants to know, am I going to get better? Is this ever going to end? How's it going to turn out? And yet so often, today as Christians, we look for help in dealing with our anxiety almost anywhere but from God. I was thinking about this this week and I thought, okay, what, what if Elijah was on earth right now and he'd been living with us the last 17 months or so when life has been so different. What would he say to us? I have little doubt that Elijah, in his own fiery way, right? This is not like most of us. That Elijah would look at us this morning and say, is there no God in Blaine? Is there no God in Minnesota? Is there no God that you could rely on? That you could bring your worries to? That you could bring your anxiety to? Is there no God that you could count on? That you could talk to? Why do you live this way? Since I started as a pastor um, a little over 17 years ago now, I haven't seen anything, at least in my ministry, uh, expose the idolatry of Christians more than COVID. And that's in part because for most of us, unless something really challenging or tragic happens in our individual lives, it's fairly easy to say, yes, I love the Lord, I'm obedient to Him, I trust Him in all things. It's easy to say that, but when you are pressed, then the real us comes out. And our real tendencies to seek out idolatry instead of God is when it comes out. So you think about, rewind 17 months with me and go back to March of 2020 when COVID hit, anxiety went sky high for a lot of people, right? Why? So again, it's really not all that, this is the Bible, such a great book. It's really not all that different than Second Kings chapter 1. When Ahaziah falls through the roof, all of a sudden everything about his future is different. And he's struggling so much to figure it out because he had great plans for what he was going to accomplish in Israel and now it all seems up in the air. That's kind of what happened in March of 2020. We all thought, okay, I know what I'm going to do this year. I just love the irony that every business and everybody had like their 2020 vision for what was going to happen like the last five years. I feel like God's like, this is going to be really funny if I do this in 2020, right? Because we don't know. We don't know. And when you think that you know and then you realize that you don't know, that creates anxiety. And then anxiety from that early months, you know, it's kind of gone up and down for a lot of people, but in some ways it is just worn on, right? And here we are 17 months later and it's still there. And now it's just different because now you've got anxiety. You're wondering like, what's this fall going to be like for my kids when they go back to the school? Or what about me and my job? When will I get to go back to the office? Or for some of you, it's have to go back to the office. 
for others of you, you're worried about all the discussion about vaccine or will there, will there not be mandates about different things. There's a lot of unknowns out there, right? For all of us. But for so many of us, as we feel anxiety looking at even a couple of weeks from into the future, a, a month into the future, and we feel that churning inside of us, so many of us have turned to just about everything to deal with that except the Lord. And instead of turning our worries into prayers, like we say here sometimes, so many of us have dealt with anxiety by turning to idols instead. And there's all sorts of things that we turn to to comfort the uncertainty that we feel inside of us. And it looks different for different people. You know, for some people, they feel the anxiety of everything that's happening, and they turn to food. Or they turn to drugs, maybe. Alcohol. Uh, There was a, a study that came out in the first part of the pandemic that alcohol sales increased by, you want to guess? Not 5%, not 10%, 34% year over year. That's crazy. Right? Because we're turning to these other things to try and drown out what we're feeling on the inside. And when we do that, and every night we're turning again to the drink, the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the Christian, Is there no God that you could bring your concerns to? Is there no God that you could bring your pain to? He's saying to you, I am am here. I am here for you. Look to me. Still others, I think, have coped with a different idolatry. And rather than just trying to treat it with something, we try, and it's similar in a way, we try to just escape. There's a lot of studies about just the absolute rise of streaming services over the last year. Right? Obviously, it's been here for a while, but just on a whole different level. And just the amount of people in this country that we just binge watch, right? And why do we do that? We say, I just need to veg out. And what do you, what's underneath even that? It's that I'm feeling something, and I need to not think about what I'm feeling. I need to escape. Others, they go in a different way. They're like, I have so much stress. I have to relieve the stress. So I just got to go get a manicure. I got to go get a facial, right? And whatever it is that we're treating, God is looking to all of us too. We're just trying to escape. And he's saying, is there no God that you could bring this to? That you actually could bring it to the surface? Just express your frustration, your fears, your worries. And there is, and I am here, and I am listening. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, come to me. Here's another set of group, another group of people who've dealt with anxiety differently. Some people have channeled their anxiety into anger in this last year. Can you remember another time in your life when people have been this angry? You know what I'm talking about? There are a lot of people that rather than sort of drowning their anxiety in drink or escaping to some sort of virtual reality, a lot of people instead have tried to angrily control the reality that they're in. Which in so many ways you just can't, right? But we try to. We really, if you think about it, have little power over most things. 
I've seen so many Christians in the last year and a half turn so heavily to politics as the ultimate answer. And we talked about this a, a couple of months ago when we were in the Gospel of Luke. We did a whole message on this. There's nothing inherently wrong with politics. Politics, in many ways, is a really positive, good thing. But so many Christians are turning to it as the core, ultimate answer, and it is not. And they're devoting hours and hours and hours of their time, sometimes every day, just consuming political content, thinking that if we could just get the right person in power, if we could just get the right mandate passed, or the right law passed, then I could finally calm down, and everything in the future would be okay. And God is saying to you, is there no God? Is there no God that you seem to have instead placed all of your hope in a person or a political party or a piece of legislation being passed? I tried to process through this week, okay, what is it in my life? Again, I haven't been perfect going through the last 17 months. And I'm going through the different categories. I don't have Netflix. Never gotten a facial. I don't even really know what that is. So, something to do with your face. Uh, but for me, I, uh, I, I love to read. I love math. I love data. And those three things have been really difficult for me in the oddest of ways in the last 17 months. As COVID sort of wore on, uh, my wife, my close friends, all, the, all of our staff who work here will probably tell you that there is not a person in this city who checked and was aware of COVID case and death graphs more than me. I was always the guy walking down the hallway. Oh, did you see that the case rate is up nine and a half percent in the county of Blaine over the last seven days? And that's just like what my life became for so many periods of this. Like, why? Why? Why do I go into that sometimes? I mean, just, I got to read this article. I got to figure out. I just, it's just like King Ahaziah. I felt like I just had to know. I had to figure it out. What is the future? What's going to happen? And that is for me, so much of it was wrapped up in what God was doing here. I'm going, Lord, what's going to happen? We spent six years working on this. Is it going to calm down? Are we going to be able to open this? Is it going to be shut down? God, what are you going to do? How's this going to work out? And there were times I stopped and I actually asked that question. And I listened. But you know what? If I'm honest with you, there are many times I didn't. And I felt like I was tuning out the whisper of God that was saying, David, David, stop looking at the screen. Is there no God that you could talk to about this? David, is there no God who say, knew about this from before time began and knows exactly what's going to happen that you could trust in, in this? I mentioned a couple weeks ago when we were, for two weeks we talked about the, the bout of depression that Elijah goes through in his life. I mentioned that I was so wiped out by the time we got to December of 2020. Just the exhaustion of building this building uh, I wasn't like literally building it. Uh, you, well, that would have been bad if any of you know me. Uh, but just of leading that project. Uh, but it was the other things as well. And I was incredibly wiped out by December of 2020. My my kids were reminding me the other day when we were eating lunch of a story from that month. I took a trip 
to kind of just try and get refreshed at the end of December, right after Christmas, uh, where I went out to Wisconsin. I just drove out there by myself to visit one of my best friends. And uh, when I left for that trip, I had zero energy. Like, the tank inside of me was empty. In fact, I'm driving to Wisconsin. I'm already a few hours into my trip. And my wife, Lindsay, she texts me a picture of my suitcase in our laundry room. <laughs> so fried that I just got in the car and left. I didn't even take my luggage. <laughs> what, what in the world? What is that? You know, a lot of it is that's exhaustion from hard work. But you know what? As I look back now, I know some of it is spiritual exhaustion from looking to something else to figure out the future rather than to my God. In some ways, am I any different than King Ahaziah? I'm not sending messengers to Baal's above, but it's like I was sending messengers to charts and graphs. What's the future? What's it going to be? And the Lord's saying, hello? Is there no God? And there is a God. And he wants to speak to us. He wants to comfort you. He wants to love you. You know, I think in some ways, one of the blessings of COVID is it has made humans more aware of something that has always been true. And that is, you don't know what next year will look like. You don't know what next month will look like. The Bible says in James chapter 4 that in reality, you don't even know what tomorrow will look like, if you're deeply honest. And so when life gets hard, when it gets scary, when you're going, I don't know what this fall is going to look like. I don't know what my job is going to look like. I don't know what's going to happen to my family. Remember, 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 there is a God. And don't look to the side. Don't look to zone out. Don't look to bury the pain. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes to heaven. Because there is a God. And he is the God who created the universe. He is the God that spoke creation into existence with his words. He is the one that is outside of time. He's not worried about the future. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. And you, Christian, have access to him. That is amazing. And he wants you to look up again. This is a God that cares so deeply about you. He's not absent. He didn't just create the world and spin it and step out. He wants to know you. He loves you so much. He sent his own son for you to prove it. Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. How crazy is that? That we sin against God all the time. And what we deserve for that is God's justice. But he would send his own son, Jesus, to die in our place. And the great teaching of scripture is that if you believe in that, when you believe in that, that he died in your place, that God takes the punishment that we deserve off of us and onto his son, Jesus, so that we could be clean, so that we could be forgiven. That is amazing. And all it takes is you saying, I believe, Jesus, that you died in my place. I'm going to leave my old life behind. Repent of my sins. I'm leaving it behind. I want to make you the leader of my life to believe in you. And that is a great question for everyone. And it's a choice that everybody has to make. Will you accept that Jesus Christ died in your place and is the Lord of your life, the leader of your life? Everybody's going to make that choice. And you see that choice even in this passage. It's all over scripture. Second Kings chapter one, right? Just like the captain, each time there were three different captains. When they came with their 50 men, they had to make a decision. Who's right? The man of God or the king? 
Is Elijah really a man of God like he said, or is he not? And we today have to decide, is Jesus Christ really the Son of God, or is he not? And if we refuse to believe that he's the Son of God, then there is no one there to die in our place. And thus, when we die, the fire, the justice of God comes down upon us. And we don't go to heaven. We go to hell. But the love of God is that he would send his own son to take that fire for you. But you have to decide. Will you believe in him? Will you let him die in your place? Will you turn your life over to him? That is the question. Let's just uh, close our eyes for a minute. Believers, I just ask that you pray. If you're here this morning, maybe a friend brought you, maybe you've just been hanging out here the last couple of months thinking about this every Sunday. And you know that you haven't truly made this decision to give your life to Jesus, to let him be the leader of your life, to say, I believe you died in my place, that if you were to die this afternoon or tomorrow, because we don't know what tomorrow will bring, that if you were to die tomorrow, that you wouldn't go to heaven, that that fire would fall on you. If you need to let Jesus Christ die in your place to save you, to devote your life to the one who loves you, it's as simple as saying, yes, God, I believe you died for me. I will follow you. And you can do that right now. In fact, if you need to do that right now to be forgiven, I'm not making this up. This is life. This is what it's about. If you need to do this this morning to be forgiven, to follow him, as a way to mark that, would you just raise your hand up in the air to God to say, yeah, that's me. I need to make this step today. I need to be forgiven. If that's you, would you just raise up your hand wherever you're at? Say, yeah, God, I knew. All right. Anyone here that needs to make that decision? I'll give you about 10 seconds or so. If you just know, I don't know. If I, I mean, if I were to die tomorrow, I don't know if I would be safe. I need to believe that you died for me. I need to give my life to you. Would you just raise your hand up wherever you're at? All right. I don't see anyone in this service, but I'll tell you that this is the goodness of God. That he does love us. He sent his son for us. And I pray, church, that we, all of us, myself included this week, when you feel the anxiety come on, that you you look up. And remember, there is a God who loves you so much. There is a God. And may we bring our burdens to him. Let me just pray, and then we'll, we'll have a final song of worship. Lord, thank you so much that you do love us. That you gave your son for us. God, we ask for forgiveness for so many times in this last year and a half by taking our anxiety to another. Another that is not real or it never satisfies. Lord, teach us to bring our burdens to you. You tell us to bring them to you. God, may we do it this week. And may we just feel the comforting arms of your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.